The vibraphone, marimba, and xylophone are all members of a percussion instrument family known as the struck idiophone family. They're all a little bit different. Marimbas have big resonant tubes, xylophones don't, and vibraphones actually have butterfly valves that spin and add a tremolo effect to the sound. I love a good mallet instrument, but that's just me. Let's ask the horns what they think. Welcome to Strong Songs, a podcast about music. I'm your host, Kirk Hamilton, and as always, I'm so glad that you've joined me to talk about music played on xylophones, music played on marimbas, and sometimes music played on vibraphones. We're going to be talking about a very vibraphonic track on this episode, and I'm really excited to get into it. So find a comfortable place to sit, adjust your headphones, turn up the volume, and enjoy the show. Among what I've come to think of as the holy trinity of mallet instruments, that being the xylophone, marimba, and vibraphone, I only own one. I own a xylophone, which is probably the easiest of the three to own. And I love the xylophone, I love that sound, but it really would be cool to own either a marimba or a vibraphone. I've always been really partial to that sound on my first solo album, which I made back in 2009. I had a tune called The Bird Women of Golden Gate Park, which featured quite a bit of marimba playing. Um, I recorded it on the school's marimba where I was teaching jazz band. It was actually a student named Galen Rogers, who was a very good marimba player and uh, attended the high school where I taught jazz. It's a wonderful instrument, very fun texture to add to a recording, mostly for me at least because it combines harmony and percussion so well. You know, it's a it's just like a thing that you hit. You know, the sound comes directly from the object as you hit it, which is what an idiophone is. And as a result, you get a very percussive sound out of it while still conveying harmonic information. It can also just be a lush and lovely sound. I promise when I finish my next album, the follow-up to that one, which is way overdue, I will have some mallet instruments on there just because I love the texture. So, welcome to the show. I am so excited to get into this episode's song. It's one of my favorite songs for one of my favorite albums, and in fact is an album that in no small part inspired a lot of the work that I did on that first solo album. Um, I heard this album that this song is from, and I was just so excited by what was going on uh, musically on that album that it, it opened my ears in a lot of different ways and made me realize kind of what singer-songwriter music could even be. So I'm excited to get into that. Thank you so much to everyone who's been spreading the word. I say that every episode now, but I see more and more people spreading the word and telling people about this show, and that is exciting. We're still growing, still getting new listeners, and it makes me very happy to know that new people might have found the show. I'll hear from people who will say, you know, I've only heard one episode, but I'm going back to the beginning and listening from the start, which is a very fun thing to do. And if you're listening to this episode, but you haven't listened to every episode, I recommend doing it, partly because sometimes I reference past episodes, and partly because even if it's a song that you think you don't like or a song that you don't know that well, you might still get something out of it, just out of the broader um, musical concepts and ideas that we explore. And who knows, you might find a song that you didn't know that you liked. 
Our next episode will be a listener Q&A episode. I'm looking forward to recording it. If you want to send me questions, I am asking that you send them to listeners at strongsongspodcast.com. You can still send to the old address that I've said on every episode up till now, but I've now got it working with that new address, so I'm going to start using that going forward. Like I said, either one will work. If you just emailed me last week using the old address, no problem. I totally saw it. But from now on, send me an email at listeners at strongsongspodcast.com. And you can also send, of course, feedback, music recommendations, whatever else. I've gotten some really amazing music recommendations from people lately, and I really do listen to the music that you all send in and recommend. I just have a big list going, and every now and then I'll go to that list and just say, well, what looks interesting? And I'll pick something and listen to it. Most recently, I listened to an artist named Mechlet, who is just unbelievably cool. Holy cow. She was born in Ethiopia, lives in San Francisco, makes like jazz music and kind of, I don't even know what you would call it, really, really incredible album. It's called When the People Move, the Music Moves Too. I cannot recommend it enough. I'm over the moon about it and and can't stop listening to it. Where did you come from? What did you grow those bones? Midnight is mirror. Look up your reflection. I mean, come on, it's so good. This is this is one of the best perks of making the show is that people write in and tell me about artists that I've never heard of that I can then listen to and realize, oh, uh, this is my favorite album I've listened to in a really long time. So cheers. Thanks, everybody who's written in with music recommendations, and feel free to write in with more. Strong Songs is a Patreon-funded show. If you want to support me making the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash strongsongs to find out more. I hope you all liked last week's bonus episode that was entirely made possible by Strong Songs' patrons. And if you didn't listen to it yet, it was super fun. Dallas Taylor was very fun to talk to. 20,000 Hertz is a very good podcast, and uh, we had a really good time. It's such an uncertain time right now. Maybe that's an understatement, but it certainly feels uncertain to me, and it really means a whole lot to me that so many of you have decided to help me make this show, to pitch in, and to support an independent creator, and it's nice. I, I own the show. I get to make the show that I want to make, how I want to make it, and that's all thanks to all of you. You can find Whole and Half Note patrons in the show notes, as always. Follow Strong Songs on Twitter at Strong Songs. Find me on Twitter at Kirk K I R K Hamilton and on Instagram at Kirk underscore Hamilton. And sign up for my newsletter. I'm going to be sending out a new one this week. You can find a link to do that down in the show notes. One last thing I'm excited to announce that Strong Songs is now on Spotify. I know that a lot of you had requested that, and the show is now on Spotify, so you can listen to it there if you like. All right, let's get into this episode's strong song. It's a mighty strong one, one that a lot of people know, one of the defining songs of the aughts of the 2000s. And while it's a song, it's also a story. It's a story of four chords. And that's how I want to frame this episode. This is the story of four chords. The first chord is D major. The second chord, A minor. The third chord, C major 7. And the fourth chord is G. Four chords placed end to end, repeated over and over again. D, A, C, G. D, A, C, G. See, not every song needs to have a whole ton of chords. You can write a song with one chord, two chords, three chords, or four. Maybe you add a layer here or there, a pedaled bass line that stays the same even as the chords change. Maybe you add a vibraphone, a shimmering percussive sparkle to bring out certain tones. Sure, why not? 
and in the careful mixing of melodies and counter-melodies over a static chord progression comes a sense of motion. Those chords are the same the whole way through, they never change, and yet the song still feels like a journey. A road trip across the land of Lincoln, bound for a city that you can probably already name. On this episode of Strong Songs, we are going to be talking about Sufjan Stevens' 2005 chamber pop masterpiece, Chicago. I fell in love again. All things go, all things go. Drove to Chicago. All things know, all things know. I am so, so excited to talk about this song, to really dig into it. It's one of my favorite songs from one of my very favorite albums, a beautiful example of musical simplicity and careful songwriting. There's so much here, and I can't wait to get into it. This song has turned up a lot of different places. It's been on a lot of different soundtracks over the years. It's definitely the most iconic track from Illinois and really is a beautiful piece of music on its own. So I'm very excited to talk about all of that. First up, some vital stats. Chicago is the centerpiece single from Sufjan Stevens' 2005 album, Illinois, which is a concept album about the state of Illinois. There are songs about all kinds of things from the world's Columbian exposition to the serial killer John Wayne Gacy to Superman and Metropolis which was actually based on a town in Illinois. It was the second in a series that Sufjan said he was going to do in the 2000s called the 50 States Project, where he was going to make a concept album about each of the 50 states. He made one about Michigan, which is where he grew up, and then one about Illinois. I think he was working on one about Oregon, which would be pretty cool since I live in Oregon, but he never actually made that one. He moved on to make a whole lot of other really great music, but in the end kind of said, you know, I was never really probably going to do all 50 states. So while there are always rumors of him coming back to do the remaining 48 states. Uh, it doesn't look like that's going to happen, which is no big deal really because Illinois on its own is a really great album and so is Michigan for that matter. That's a really great record too. As someone who grew up in the Midwest, I grew up in Indiana. Illinois always had quite a pull on the uh, on the entire region, mostly because of the city of Chicago. A lot of people that I knew and went to high school with wound up living in Chicago. It's kind of the big city uh, for that whole region and Illinois as a state has a lot of presence. So it's cool listening to an album that's just about all of these Midwestern things, especially because I know so many people, so many people that I've met later in my life, never really go to the Midwest. They never find a reason to do so, even though the American Midwest uh, has a lot to recommend it and has a lot of interesting history and culture of its own. Illinois, the album, is really a fascinating album musically. It's, I would probably call it chamber pop. It's very arranged. It's very beautiful. It has a lot of unusual instruments and um, instrumentation. And the songs themselves are very composed and not a whole lot like uh, the kinds of pop songs that you would generally hear on the radio. They're much more classically influenced. And actually, I kind of hear a pretty a pretty distinct uh, minimalist composer influence on Sufjan Stevens. Minimalist composers like Steve 
Reich and Philip Glass, people from the sort of late 20th century who were doing work with similar instrumentations and some of the similar sounds that Sufjan is getting. For example, here's the third track from the album, which is my other favorite tune. It's called Come On, Feel the Illinois, and it goes all sorts of places. This is a very complex composition, and in places this piece, as well as some of the other pieces on Illinois, they really echo Steve Reich for me. Steve Reich, if you don't know, is a wonderful composer, seen as one of the most important minimalists. He wrote a lot of really important works in the late 20th century. He wrote a work called Music for 18 Musicians that really sounds very similar to Illinois. I actually was more familiar with Illinois than I was with the Reich album, and then someone mentioned how similar they were and how clearly Sufjan was influenced by it, and I went and listened to it. It felt almost like I was listening to Illinois because some of the sounds are so similar. So here's Sufjan's tune. This is that third tune from the album, Come On, Feel the Illinois. This song is in two parts. This is from the first part. some musical things going on that you don't hear in your average pop song, in particular his use of repetition, and that's kind of what is in a lot of minimalist compositions. It's not necessarily minimalist in that, you know, it's like one person playing a single note on a stage. A lot of the time, at least to me, minimalist music is more minimalist in terms of structure and complexity, where there will be a lot of repeating parts that are placed on top of one another, and sometimes it's very dense music. It's just more about repeating ideas and layering textures on top of one another to create new, deeper, and richer textures. And Sufjan is definitely using a lot of those same sounds. So now listen to the Reich piece. This is Music for 18 Musicians, which is from 1976. And listen to how this sounds very similar in the way that there are these kind of repeated parts layered on top of one another. So you hear that, right? That just kind of steady pulse, those repeated mallet parts that are just going and going and going, the, the way that it gives it this sort of forward momentum, it really sounds very similar to Sufjan. I mean, here again is what he was doing on Come On, Feel the Illinois. Oh, great white city, I've got the adequate committee, where have your walls gone? I think about... So just in terms of composition and songwriting, this album is already working on a kind of a different frequency from a lot of other albums, and that is certainly true of Chicago as well. So to talk about Chicago, I want to take a slightly different approach. This song, like I've said, from beginning to end is just these four chords placed end to end with a couple of building blocks that Sufjan creates placed in different arrangements over that chord progression and layered in such a way that it feels like you're hearing new sections of the song and like the song itself is progressing along a track, like listening to it is a journey. So up front, we're going to talk a little bit about those four chords and how that chord progression works, and I'm also going to identify for you the main building blocks of the entire song right at the top, and then we're going to go through the song like we usually do from section to section, but you'll already know each of the major sections, like each of those building blocks that gets placed on top of that chord progression and sometimes on top of other building blocks in order to create a sense of progression. (laughs) 
So before we even lay down any building blocks, we need a foundation, and that's that chord progression. D major, A minor, C major 7, G major those four chords. I think that's a beautiful chord progression. It's one that's kind of familiar, though not super common. And because of that, when you'll hear it, it'll sound very distinct and you'll know that sound. It's a very dramatic sound. In particular, the most dramatic sound is one moving to five minor. I love this sound. I think it's really beautiful. It's very dreamlike. And like I said, five isn't typically a minor chord. It's usually a dominant chord. Five is certainly in a lot of pop songs. One, four, and five are the three most common chords probably. In, in popular music, but the five chord is typically a major chord or a dominant chord, which is a major chord with a flat seventh. It's not that commonly a minor chord, so that sound kind of jumps out at you right at the very beginning. You hear one D major, and then five A minor. And you just go back and forth between those two chords. It's a gorgeous sound. In fact, one of the most famous songs that used one to five minor into a very dramatic effect is another song that revolves around, uh, primarily at least, around a repeating chord progression. And it came out just a few years before Sufjan released Illinois. It is from a 2002 album. It's from a song that was played a whole lot, probably overplayed to the point that I think a lot of people kind of hate it, even though I actually think it's a pretty good song. But it's a song that gets a lot of mileage out of that chord change, out of one to five minor. That's the first thing that happens in the song. It's the thing that gives it its defining sort of sonic identity, and you'll know it the second you hear it. Yes, the first two chords of Coldplay's 2002 mega-hit clocks are one to five minor. Like I said, I do think that that song is better than people give it credit for. It's just that it got so overplayed that everyone got sick of it. But I also think that the magic of that song, the sort of enchanting sound that it has, this just dreamlike quality, really leans heavily on that one to five minor. So it's pretty cool that these two songs, which both capture that same kind of open ethereal sound, are doing something actually pretty similar. The chord progression is different between the two, but they both rely on that one to five minor. They both have this kind of repeating iconic chord progression. And the two songs just make so much hay out of the, the four chord chord progression that they both rely on, that it's kind of cool how similar they are. So anyways, back to Chicago. Chicago, those four chords are the foundation of the whole song. Everything in this song is just moving between them. They're always in the same order. They just repeat as a big block over and over and over again. That's our foundation. So the first building block is what I call the ascending intervals. The ascending intervals are primarily played by the vibraphone, and that is Sufjan playing the vibraphone. They're also doubled on the Wurlitzer, the electric piano that he's playing. They're played by a few different instruments throughout the recording, but that's where you hear them first and foremost. And they are just some ascending intervals. It starts with a sixth, then a fifth, then another fifth, and then an octave. So in order for a chord to be a chord, it needs to have at least three notes, or at least that's kind of my definition of a chord. And if you only have two notes, it's just an interval, because it's just the space between two notes. It could be a lot of different harmonies, you know, those first two notes, an A and an F sharp. That could be a lot of different things. It happens to be happening over a D major chord, which makes sense. That's the fifth and then the third up an octave, with a sixth in between them. So the interval is the space in between the two notes. So those intervals are just sort of sequences of two notes that happen to line up with the chord 
chords that they're being played over. So that first one is that sixth, A to F sharp. The second one is a fifth from C to G, which is happening over an A minor chord. So that's the minor third and the flat seventh over A, which kind of makes this an A minor seventh sound. The next fifth is from E to B, which is placed over C, so that's why this is a C major seventh, because it's the third and the major seventh, the B is a major seventh. And then the final one is just an octave D to D, which is placed over G, and that's kind of just a G5, this is a G major chord. Okay, so that's the first building block, those are the ascending intervals. The second building block is what I'll call the climbing and falling strings. And this is a really grand melody that happens a lot throughout this tune, it's definitely another one of the major defining sounds. It is typically played by the strings, and it sounds like this. Now this is a slightly more complex building block than that first one. Remember those ascending intervals just moved up, they were just little pairs of notes moving straight up. The climbing and falling string building block goes up and then goes down, and it actually moves down in a fairly similar way to those ascending intervals. It's just moving down kind of in intervals, that second half, but it starts by going up. So first it climbs, and then it walks down. So you can think of it kind of like an arc or a little hill. It goes up, and then it comes back down. So we've got the ascending intervals, the climbing and falling strings, and the third building block is the static bass line. And that is just a bass line that goes between D, A, and D up the octave. It stays totally put, it never moves anywhere, and everything just happens over it. So it's basically a pedal tone on D. So if you wanted to get really technical about it, this chord progression goes D, a minor over D, C major 7 over D, G over D, and that sounds like this. There's one more building block that I want to point out, and this is the fourth building block, and this is the repeating whole step, is what I'm going to call it. And it's just, I think that it's a keyboard, I think it's the Wurlitzer, and it just goes between a G and an A, which is a whole step, and it repeats that over and over and over again. So this is kind of a counterpart to that static bass line that's just repeating the D, the A, and the D, and this fits in a kind of more compressed time frame because it repeats the notes more quickly, but it's another static pattern. So those building blocks, along with that four chord foundation, are kind of the primary counter-melodic building blocks of this song. There are two melodic building blocks that we'll get to when we get to the singing and when we listen to the song a little bit, and those are the melodies that Sufjan sings and then the choir sings over the, uh, over the chorus. But in terms of the other musical ideas, what I think of as the counter-melodic building blocks, it's really just those four things. There are the ascending intervals, the climbing and falling strings, there's that static bass line, which is further subdivided by the repeating whole step, and those come in and go out at various points, they're not always in at all times, and sometimes they're played on different instruments, but those counter-melodic building blocks, those three things, 
combined with the two melodic building blocks of the main melody that we'll get to in a minute, comprise like 95% of the music in this piece, which is really cool. So now let's listen. I want to listen from the very beginning, and you've got all of those, those ideas in your head, those building blocks. You've got the ascending intervals, you've got the climbing and falling strings, you've got the static bass line, and you've got that repeating whole step, and you've got those four chords. And I want you to listen to the song from the beginning, and I want you to hear each of those individual elements in its place. Ears on, let's listen. So as you listen to that, I hope that you heard each of those elements. I think that that's pretty cool. They're all introduced right there at the very beginning, and they turn up in various incarnations throughout, and I'm going to be pointing them out as we go through the song, but now you know what all the building blocks are, and it's just a matter of figuring out what their current configuration is. So of course this song starts with the vibraphone playing those ascending intervals, and then the full ensemble comes in, we've got that repeating bass line, the Wurlitzer is also playing that repeating whole step, the strings are playing a course very grandly the climbing and falling section and there is one other thing in there that i should at least mention and that is the drums a drummer named james McAllister plays on this album he's a wonderful and very creative drummer i love how the drums are recorded and played on this album and this part is no different it's a pretty cool and driving drum part that he's playing that he repeats throughout this song it kind of takes a similar minimalist repetitive approach to the song um, as all of the other parts do it's less of a clear thump pop sizzle than some of the grooves we've talked about, though there are elements of thump and pop and sizzle in there. It's kind of this driving thing where he's riding the snare, the toms, and the cymbals, and the kick drum, along with, I think, some percussion going on underneath it that just gives it this very kind of dirge-like forward thrust. It's a beautiful sound right off the bat, so listen again from the very start, and this time I will play it into the first verse and pay attention both to the lyrics that Sufyan is singing, but also to the melody that he's singing. Okay, so in there we have the first major melodic statement. This is the first of two melodies. There are only two melodies in this song that are sort of locked in and out, just like building blocks. They're kind of the final two building blocks. The first is just that melody that he's singing. The lyrics are also so good. I fell in love again. All things go. All things go. What a great opening lyric, holy cow. And that melody is also really, really cool. It's very simple, but it's also the melody of this song. It's the melody of so many different sections. It's the main melodic building block. We'll call it Melody One. And it sounds like this if you just play it on piano. (laughs) 
very simple, right? And unremarkable. I mean, if I just played that for you on piano, I don't think it would be all that grabby. It's it's three notes. It's an A, a G, and a B, the first three notes of a G major scale. Not super remarkable on its own, but it immediately stands out in part because those lyrics are so good. I fell in love again. All things go. All things go. And then he follows that with drove to Chicago. All things know. All things know. I fell in love again. All things go. All things go, drove to Chicago, all things known. It's not just an evocative lyric, though it certainly is that. He's also using repetition really cleverly. This song is built out of repetition, right? It's this minimalist compositional approach that repeats ideas and has ideas that just kind of cycle again and again and again. And by repeating that lyric, all things go, all things go, it establishes early on what's going to be a lyrical motif throughout the song, all things go. Uh, They sing that a whole lot in this song. And also, it makes that melody so much more potent because that simple phrasing suddenly becomes becomes an asset. If you just sang, I don't know what to say, like that's an okay lyric, right? But if you sing, all things go, all things go, it it adds a level of power to what you're saying because the second time that it repeats, it goes to a slightly different note and emphasizes that one little change because everything else has stayed the same. So when he sings the second refrain, drove to Chicago, all things know, all things know, that power is just magnified because you've sort of established a framework. He's repeating the phrase again and you're kind of ready for it already that second time, even though he just started singing. I fell in love again. All things go, all things go, drove to Chicago, all things know. So as he's singing that melody, you're probably hearing some familiar things in the orchestration. He's playing just the chords in steady eighth notes there on the Wurlitzer in the middle. Over on the right, we have that repeating bass line is still going, that just the D, the A, and the D. And in between phrases, the strings come in and play the first part of the ascending string line, which sets up the second melodic block. So we'll call this melody number two, uh, the second melodic block of the song, which he sings here. We sold our clothes to the state I don't mind, I don't mind I made a lot of mistakes in my mind So that's melody two. It's kind of just a variation on melody one. The first half of the phrase is more complicated. We sold our clothes to the state He kind of walks up from an A. It has a few more notes in it. Then the second half of melody number two just takes the same uh, same notes, same melody as melody number one, same repetition and everything. This time he sings I don't mind, but it's the same structure, same thing. So that's it. That's melody number two. So those two melodies are the final two building blocks of this song. And like I said, these building blocks that we've established make up almost everything that happens in this recording. There's that first melody, melody number one. And then there's that second melody, melody number two.
And that's it. Those are all of the musical building blocks of Sufjan Stevens's Chicago. And the magic of this song, the brilliance of this song, is how he takes those kind of basic building blocks and combines them in all these different ways to create a song that becomes a saga. So listen back to that entire first verse again. Listen for both of those melodies, melody one and then melody two, the way that they both use the same repetition and the same notes and a melody at the end of the phrase, but begin their phrases differently. And also listen for what's going on in the background. You'll hear that static bass line going um, kind of over on the right in the Wurlitzer. You'll also hear the chords as those four chords move through the chord progression a couple of times. You'll hear the strings begin their ascending string line, and it's only the first half of their phrase as they build into the second half into melody number two. And during melody number two, you will also hear the vibraphone playing the ascending intervals, which if you remember is the first building block. So a lot of the different building blocks are kind of sounding out during this verse as melody number one and melody number two play as Sufyan introduces those two melodies. Listen for all of that. Ears on. Here we go. I fell in love again. All things go. All things go. Drove to Chicago. All things know. All things know. We sold our clothes to the state. I don't mind. I don't mind. I made a lot mistakes in my mind Okay, so it's time for the first chorus. The chorus is the beating heart of this song. It's this song's grandiosity. It's so beautiful. I love the chorus. I love the way that the choir on the chorus sounds. But when we listen to it, I want you to notice what they're doing. They're just singing melody number one. It's the same melody that Sufyan sang on that first phrase of the verse. It's a little bit tweaked. They're starting up on D, so they're up a fourth, and they end the phrase a little bit differently, but it's basically the same shape and contour. So when Sufyan sings it, he starts it on the A down here. So then the chorus starts the same line but up on D. And they end on a similar cadence but with slightly different notes like this. Listen to the second half of the verse as it leads into the chorus and then the chorus. Pay attention for that and how the melody is basically the same melody that Sufyan already sang. I made a lot of mistakes in my mind here we go listen for that ascending and descending string part so much magic in that chorus. That chorus is one of the most incredible things anybody's recorded in the last 20 years. It's almost hard for me to try to articulate why, because it's magic. I mean, how do you how do you articulate what makes something magic? It just is. It's magic. I don't know. It's It's got fairy dust on it. But, you know, at risk of getting too into midichlorians, um, I think what makes this chorus so powerful is the, is the choir. It's the way that it shifts to a group of people singing in absolute unison. There's a little bit of harmony in this choir 
choir later in the song, but for this first chorus, they're all just right there. It's an effect sort of like the Greek chorus. It feels like a group of ethereal beings commenting on what's going on. It's this huge shift from inside the narrator's head to outside of it. And you'll notice the lyrics. I mean, it, it goes from the first person, I was in love again, all things go, all things go, to the chorus, you came to take us, all things go, all things go. Not only is it in the second person and talking about you, it's also first person plural. It's a choir talking about us. We had our mindset. So it becomes pluralized because the choir is speaking for itself. It's its own entity in this song. And while it's singing that same melody, melody number one, it's doing it up a fourth and it's doing it with a whole lot more voices. This is a song about travel, about driving across the country, and if the narrator is alone with his thoughts in a car that is itself alone on the highway, the choir is the highway itself. It's the state. It's the space. It's the voice of memory. I just, I get chills every time I listen to it. I don't know about you. I don't know how anyone could listen to that to that chorus and not get chills. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. And of course, it's just the first statement of the chorus. There's a lot of this song left to go. So they get into the second verse and introduce a new texture, actually, a really cool thing in the strings um, and a little percussion part too. So listen to a bit of that verse and we'll break down what new is happening in addition to all of the building blocks that we've already established. Really cool, right? Listen to what those strings are doing, just those repeated notes slowly climbing. So in many ways, a restatement of what happened in the first verse, but with a couple of cool additions for starters. Yeah, there's that string part. So there's a string quartet credited for this, like in the liner notes, cello, viola, two violins. And you can hear them very clearly individually. A lot of times when strings are recorded onto, you know, pop songs or, or songs like this, it's kind of a full sectional thing. And the section becomes very strong as a unit, but you rarely hear the individual voices. On this track, and actually on a lot of this album, you can really hear the individual players which I think is really neat. They've mixed it and panned it so that the you know the violin is very clearly audible over there on the right, and you can hear the cello over on the left as well. Or at least I think that's a cello. It might be a violin or viola. And they're just climbing up in this kind of offset pattern that's just moving up that same scale. It starts on an F sharp and just moves up a D mixolydian scale to C, repeating each note in eighth notes and kind of offset rhythmically from the rest of the phrasing so that it's moving at a different time as everything else. It significantly changes the energy, even though that static bass line is still going, those chords are still happening, it's still the same chord progression, it's just that the strings are playing that part, which could almost be described as another building block since it does turn up uh, one more time in the song during the culmination at the very end, that steadily ascending string part. There is one other little change that I really like. It's a percussion instrument that I'm a big fan of that I that I like to highlight whenever I can on this show, and that is, of course, the shaker. I believe this is Sufjan on the shaker. It's just right there in the middle of the track, and it 
adds just a little bit of sizzle to this groove to kind of cut through all of these kind of broader sounds in that Wurlitzer and in the strings to kind of cut through a little bit and give us just a little bit more pulse than we had on the first verse. So listen to that second verse again and pay attention to those two things, the ascending strings, what the strings are doing, and of course that shaker and the way that the two things combine to add significantly more momentum to the second verse as it builds into the second chorus. But for all the new things that are added, of course, right on cue, we've got the vibraphone on the ascending intervals. All these parts layering on top of one another, the music growing ever richer the deeper we go into the songs. All right. So that second chorus with the second entrance from the choir is a little bit different than the first time in that they begin right off the bat in harmony. There are two parts now going, a high part and a low part. They're in beautiful harmony with one another and they actually come back together into unison for just two notes before ending on a harmony note. So it begins in thirds like this. But then through that repeated phrase, all things go, all things go, at the beginning it's in harmony. But then it goes to unison just for that second statement of all things, but that final go is in harmony. It's cool and very effective because the lyric is repeating, of course, you know, it's all things go, all things go, or all things grow, all things grow. But because they split into harmony, it's a bigger sound that then when they come together for the unison on the final part of the phrase, it feels like they're restating it more emphatically. When you get people with slightly different voices singing in unison and then in harmony with one another, you get that kind of a sound and it lets you do that sort of a thing. As cool as harmony sounds, sometimes unison is actually just as powerful. Also, it's really important that this is a repeated line. Remember, this song has been using repetition of lyrics really cleverly, and it it does so through to the end. There's some really cool repetition toward the end that I think is crucial to the meaning of the song. And by repeating that lyric, all things go, all things go, first in harmony and then in unison, it actually kind of emphasizes the repeat of the lyric by making it different the first time, all things go in harmony, then the second time, all things go in unison. It's sort of broadening its focus and then tightening its focus while repeating lyrics in a very carefully considered, wonderful way. So let's listen to the setup to that second chorus and this time really key in on those vocals. Listen to how the choir is split into harmony for the first part of the phrase, but then on the final statement of the repeated lyric, they come back to unison each time. time for the song to reach its first climax and introduce its final new melody instrument. The 
song reaches its climax not with a grand choir, but with a solo trumpet ringing out above the densest orchestration yet. So you're probably hearing a bunch of new things there. Of course, most prominently, there's Craig Montoro on the trumpet playing that solo trumpet melody. I really like how he sounds here. It's not the piercing, super clean sound of a like lead classical trumpet player. It's a little thicker and more interesting. It sounds a little bit more like an actual individual playing, and I think that that really works for the vibe of the song. There's some other cool stuff going on underneath the trumpet that I want to highlight as well, because it really emphasizes how dramatic this section of the song is. Like I said, this is the first climax. This is a big peak for the song. So for starters, the drums are really going at it. There are some big cymbal crashes on a bunch of the downbeats that are, that are adding significantly to the energy. There's also what's going on in the keyboards, and it's a little hard to pick out, but there's just like a really fast sort of scale going up and down, uh, I think on the Wurlitzer, and it gives it this very kind of Philip Glass sound that uh, just thickens things out. It's really easy to not notice it because it's kind of in the very middle part of the mix and not easy to pick out, but it sounds pretty cool. You'll also hear the vibraphone come in playing that ascending and descending string part. The vibraphone cuts through the mix really naturally because it's such a percussive instrument, so that lets you hear that counter melody running, you know, in counter to the trumpet melody. And of course the strings are in there too, it's just the vibraphone is doubling along with the strings, which gives them a little bit more punch. And of course the trumpet is playing melody one and then melody two, it's just playing the same melodies that we've been hearing over and over again, it just sounds very different on the trumpet because it's an instrument that doesn't have any lyrics, and it's just a very different sound. But it's the same melody. One other new thing that I think really actually dramatically changes the vibe of this section, even though it's kind of subtle, is another percussion instrument, and that's the tambourine. This is Sufjan playing the tambourine, and it comes in with this just really cool, very driving pattern that cuts straight through the mix and really changes the feel of the groove, despite being such a small instrument, physically at least. So listen back to that trumpet solo and pay attention for all of that. Of course, listen for Craig Montoro's trumpet solo. That's the easiest thing to hear. But listen as well for the tambourine, which will kind of jump out at you. Listen for those extra cymbal crashes. Pay attention to how the vibraphone comes in, doubling the ascending and descending string melody in the second half. And try to hear that keyboard part, that that's just kind of undulating around in the middle of the mix. It's very indistinct, but it's there and it's really cool once you hear it. All right, let's listen. a huge sound. It's just exalting in this feeling of space and movement. They really take their time with it. The trumpet just gets to stretch out in this big, big moment right before the recording gets as small as it's ever been. If I was crying in the van with my friend, it was for freedom from myself and from the I love this section. It goes down so small. It's just four voices, three strings, and Sufyan's voice. It's the smallest the recording ever gets, and it's beautiful because it matches up with his lyrics so perfectly. So the way I hear it is there's a cello and two violins. The cello and the first violin are over on the right. The second violin is over on the left and is a little hotter in the mix, and Sufyan is in the middle. Now that's just what I'm hearing. It might be that the string over on the left is a viola. It could be that there are two violins up on the top, and I'm pretty 
pretty sure I'm just hearing three string voices along with the vocals. What's so cool about this section is, remember, it's the same four chords. The chord progression is the same, but because they've reduced it so much to these single notes in these four voices, it's a dramatically different sound, despite the fact that they're not actually changing anything about the structure of the song or the harmony. The parts are really simple too. The cello is just going between a D and an E, the second violin is just going between an A and then a G, and the first violin is just going an F sharp to an E and then eventually to a D. They're very simple, but they move at different times, which keeps a constant sense of motion throughout the arrangement. Then in the middle, you have Sufyan's melody, which moves quite a bit more and moves again in different places from the three strings. It creates this sense of stretching as though you're looking at a static image and then every so often one small part of the image will change, but it's always a different part. Let me recreate it actually using wind instruments. I'm going to put a tenor sax on the cello, alto sax on violin two, soprano sax on violin one, and a flute on Sufjan's vocals. I think that'll help you hear the difference between each of the parts, and uh, I'll kind of pan it the same way that they do on the recording. So listen to the recording now and pay attention for those string parts. I know you all know the melody. We've heard melody one uh, a whole bunch of times, but listen to what the strings are doing and listen to how they move at different times to create this constant sense, like localized drops of motion within an otherwise static image. If I was crying in the van with my friend, it was for freedom. From myself and from the land. Now it's musically very cool, but it's also lyrically really cool. This is a crucial part of this song lyrically. He sings, If I was crying in the van with my friend, it was for freedom from myself and from the land. Notably, it's one of the only times in the song where the second half of the statement isn't a repeated line. You know, all things go, all things go. It's a complete statement from start to finish. And that, along with the phrase that comes right after it, which has the most repeated lyrics of the entire song, kind of encapsulates this song song. There are kind of two characters in this song, at least to me. There's the narrator who is this lonely lost person, a young person, on a road trip across Illinois towards Chicago. And this person is reflecting on their mistakes, on their life so far, and on where they're going. Everything about that character, about that narrator, is small. The way that Sufyan sings this is actually very small. He sings with a very intimate, small voice, and it's just him, and it's just his thoughts. It's not meant to be big. That small narrator stands in contrast to the huge other character, which is just sort of the space and sweep of history, the state, the state of Illinois, the nation of the United States of America and the world, just sort of the, the voice of memory. And that, of course, is represented by the choir. The choir is a plural voice. It speaks in us and we. It's much bigger than one person. And those two characters, this large plural voice and this small individual voice, sit in a really beautiful contrast to one another throughout the entire song. It's a feeling I think we've all 
all had, especially when we're on the road. I know that when I'm out on a road trip, I get this feeling all the time of being so small in such a big world. And if I could sing a song with the road and with the space around me, it would probably sound a lot like Chicago. So this verse brings it all the way down to just the narrator. It's as small as it can possibly be as the narrator reflects on what it is he wants to be free of and what it is he's done. Before the sweep of history, the broader world that he's still a part of comes and finds him and helps him be reborn. And that's what I hear here in this verse as it comes down to the smallest sound it possibly can before the choir comes back in and builds things back up. If I was crying in the van with my friend, it was for freedom from myself and from the land. I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot. We've all made a lot of mistakes, but however many we've made, all is never lost. I mean, I don't know what to say about it, really. There are a few moments of pure musical storytelling as beautiful and as magic as that moment in Chicago when it comes down to Sufyan's vocals and he becomes lost in despair over the mistakes that he's made, and then the choir comes in and carries him out and upward. All of the elements that we've talked about, all of those building blocks come in at various points during this culmination. You'll hear those four chords going by. You'll hear that static bass line come in and the whirlets are over in the right channel. You'll actually hear some sleigh bells giving the pulse, kind of taking over for that shaker. Really nice sound that reminds me of God Only Knows. Love some sleigh bells, man. A great sound. And of course, when the full band comes in, you'll hear the strings and the vibraphone playing different versions of their melodies, those ascending intervals. You'll hear the strings on those repeated notes that they played on the second verse. You'll hear Sufyan's vocals reflecting on his mistakes while the choir sings. You'll hear the trumpet and the tambourine come in. You know what to listen for. You know what to hear. You know all the building blocks. So let's listen. I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. You came to take us. All things go. All things go.
as the entirety of creation seems to sing around us. The trumpet calling, the drums driving, we explode outward and upward, from the van, to the road, to the state, to the nation, to the planet, to space, to whatever's beyond. There are so many sounds, so many harmonies, so many chords that a songwriter can rely on. So many structures, so many phrases, so many types of framing. And with just four chords repeated over and over again, Sufjan Stevens can tell a story like he tells in Chicago. One of the most beautiful musical stories I've ever heard. D A C G the story of four chords and two melodies. Building blocks are stacked on top, then broken down, then built again. D A C G There's magic in this song. It defies technical analysis. It defies music theory. It defies me. It's the magic of the journey, of the solo and the choir, of the melody, the counter-melody, and the choral harmony. D. A. C. G. On the road to Chicago. And that'll do it for my analysis of Sufjan Stevens's Chicago. I hope you liked this episode. I had a really good time making it. This song means a lot to me, and it was really cool to get to try to share some of that with all of you. Thank you all so much for listening. Thanks so much to everybody who supports me making this show on Patreon. I know that it's a pretty crazy time right now. I know a lot of people's finances are extremely questionable. Lord knows mine are too. So I really appreciate everyone who's signed up recently to become a patron. And of course, if you want to know more about how to do that, go over to patreon.com strongsongs. Of course, if you can't afford to become a patron, I totally understand. You can also support me by telling your friends. So tell people about this show. This episode's outro soloist is me on tenor saxophone. I recorded this earlier this year because I decided, hey, I should probably record one of these outro solos myself. So stick around for that, and I'll be back in two weeks with more strong songs. (laughs) 